It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live Health Watch. She's writing a prescription for hope. Here's Michelle. Health Watch, this podcast, we focus on you, your health, looking at a holistic point of view, getting rid of some of the easy fixes and going for the real cures. But there is something on this Health Watch that we wanted to tackle, and this is part two in this series on men, the health of men in our society, both physically and this week will take on emotionally and spiritually. It is plummeting. Today, we're going to talk about men who have experienced domestic abuse. There's a huge statistic that says that there is 800,000 or more men every year that experience abuse. But there could be so much more because it is so underreported. We're also going to talk about how we are failing our boys, the next generation. We're letting them slip through our fingers. What's happening in our world? What can we do better? We are going to take it on. Dr. Vermel D. Green is with us uh, from the Boys Initiative and with a book, Please Teach Me Like I'm a Boy. Dr. Green, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Michelle, for having me. This is a joy. We are stuck at home with our kids, and we're starting to realize, oh, my goodness, there may be some things that are really falling through the cracks. Has has the light come on for many parents? I think so, Michelle. I think that parents are getting, their eyes are being open, as you said, and they see that, you know, wait a minute, is this how you teach math? Wait a minute, is this how you teach reading? (laughs) And I tell you, it is great. You know, um, I really believe that sometimes the bad can be turned to the good. And even though this has been a horrendous experience for all of us, in regards to parents getting a real experience as to what their child is learning and how they're learning, they're really forced now. Those parents who, who shied away from PTA meetings and teacher parent conferences, hey, they don't have a choice now. It's hitting them head on. Let's start by going to the end, the end results. We've been teaching the way we've been teaching for quite some time. And this, I would call it kind of an industrial age, uh, like assembly line, kind of get them in, butts behind seats, put information in, and then put them off uh, off the conveyor belt into life. How are we faring in this? What's, What's the pudding, so to speak, so we can see what the proof is? Well, unfortunately, I think that the baby has been thrown out with the bathwater. <laughs> and I say that because even though we say, no, we, you know, we want to be more innovative with our teaching, with our instructional ways, there's some tried and true methods that work. And I'm thinking primarily of the way we teach reading. Uh, mm. Schools in recent years, in recent decades, have shied away from teaching systematic explicit phonics. And I really, it goes back, I guess, probably to the 50s when they began to say, no, that's boring, you know, we're more progressive, we're going to start teaching something called whole language, and children are going to memorize words. And the way they're going to memorize words at first is through repetition. 
And if you can remember, Michelle, I'm sure you're too young, but if you can think about those who read with those Dick and Jane books. Oh, bless your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Fun with Dick and Jane. (laughs) Fun with Dick and Jane. That was whole language at its core. Hmm. The reason why you kept saying, see, see, Dick, see, see, Jane, run, run, Dick, is that through repetition, you were no longer being taught that are you in was sounding out, run. You were memorizing that are you in was run. And so it began to say, all right, the way we're going to teach reading is through memorization. And that's fine if your if your memory I mean if your language only contains maybe a you know a couple thousand words you can you can begin to memorize them but when your language contains thousands and thousands of words you cannot memorize them all the human brain cannot contain them all and so what's happening is that children have been falling further and further behind because we've been getting away from phonics and it's really been hurting our boys. Some children, of course, over the years, they learn to read regardless. But for our boys, and some of them even were able to, so I'm speaking in generalities, many of our boys have fallen behind in the language arts, especially in regards to reading. What is it about boys, and why are we actually more different than we like to admit? (laughs) Well, you know, uh, you have to go back to the creator for that, you know, that that's just how they were made. Um, our, the brains are different. They process information different. Hormonally, we're different. You know, we, we develop differently. And we have different strengths, um, for example, uh, with language. Language processing is done on both sides of the female brain. On the male brain, language is primarily on one side. Male brain. Oh, my goodness. That makes so much sense then. Where oh, yeah. maybe repetition might seem to work for females to a degree, but for males, it, it, they need that one side brain. It's, it's easier for a woman, a young girl, to look at uh, the repetition, but also to use the other side of the brain to maybe he- reason out the phonic side where i oh, can see right. that's difficult well, for boys well, makes sense <laughs> <laughs> and what happens also because uh with uh say math because girls have this strength in language back in the 1980s when they say well the girls are falling behind in math then let's put more language into math so it became more reading about math, writing about math. No longer was it good enough to know that 2 plus 2 was 4. You had to be able to explain in detail. You had to write it and talk about how 2 plus 2 was 4. And for the little boys whose strength is that computation, all of a sudden they had to write about it. So they're thinking, okay, 2 plus 2 is 4. I know that. Why do I have to explain that? And so on certain, on certain tests, on certain tests, your score was lower if you couldn't explain it versus someone who could explain it. But perhaps they got the computation a little wrong. They put oh, my gosh. And, and now, I would say, we kind of err on the side of forget uh, why 2 plus 2 is 5 and explaining it. We're, we're to, how do I feel about that? So that's oh, yes. Oh, you got it. How do you feel that 2 plus 2 is 4? Does that frustrate you? I mean... <laughs> Oh, my goodness, what a mishmash. And a b- little boys, again, at a disadvantage. They're not into feelings. You don't 
talk. Men don't talk to each other about, hey, man, you know, what are your feelings? What do you feel about that? No, they're into action. They're into movement. They're into doing. And classrooms uh, that are taught by big girls, <laughs> when you talk about, you know, the teaching profession, you know, uh, especially in the elementary level, you know, over, over 95% of elementary teachers being female, they're going to connect with the girls. Because as a former teacher, I know I taught the way I learned, which was a lot of writing, note-taking, you know. But the teachers have to realize it's not just little girls they have to connect with. They have to connect with those boys. So boys need movement. They can't sit all day with their hands folded and not want to move and jump and run and, and crawl <laughs> under the seat. And there's nothing wrong with them if they do want to do that. Especially the teachers who want to talk, 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 and the boys are like, "Oh my goodness, is she ever going to stop? Can I just?" You kidding? Go? I'm like that. I still, I'm still like that. I hate meetings. I just want to put it out there. You know, it's like, are they ever going to stop? Right? But you're absolutely right. And this leads to something that we don't always think about, and that is the biases that we have, uh, the mm-hmm. the preconceived ideas that we have. Boys are just out of control they need to be more in control the little girls can sit sweetly in their seats isn't that nice even on uh the boys you point out a, a a issue where white and female teachers even show racial bias in evaluating writing at times and in, in, in evaluation it's kind of this uh, preconceived assumption that oh you probably don't have the language skills or the ability mm-hmm. and and let me just if, if I might just say this because this is very important to me Dr. Green to to point out you know we all come with biases all of us do what the difference between being a good person and needing some work is when you're confronted with those go the light needs to come on and you go oh oops it's the people yeah. who hunker down and say no i'm not no i'm not or, and they become more ingrained that cause the problems that we see in our society but this is a real thing i'd love to touch on yes in fact um with our boys as you said, teachers have this preconceived notion that you know they don't they don't behave well. You know they they, they they're they're going to struggle with reading. They're going to you know they're oh they're going to excel in math. Oh nope, not with the word problems and all these preconceived notions. And even it's filtering down to the children. I started a school for boys years ago, um, and I remember interviewing. Um, parents and and their prospective um, students, and the parents would say, I talked to John, and he wasn't sure about coming to an all-boys school because he thought that you would just, they would just be running around and fighting all day. <laughs> so so even, even the children have these preconceived notions as to what it means to be a boy, fighting all day, you know, and, 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 and bothering him. And I said, no, we're not into that. But unfortunately, that has um, uh, kind of... Uh, gotten into the minds of, of our children as well as some of our adults. But um, one of the things that I wanted to do with my book is to show teachers that, yes, boys are different, but they can still be taught correctly in your classrooms. And it doesn't take a boatload of money. All you have to do, first of all, is to say, as you, were, as you talked about earlier, you have to just admit 
that you have certain biases and admit and have an open mind and a teachable spirit that you say, okay, let me back up. Maybe I can teach these boys. Maybe they can learn. Maybe they don't need medication. Maybe they shouldn't be evaluated for Ritalin and, and, and Prozac right. or whatever. You know, that they are fine just the way they are. There's nothing wrong with them. Let me change the way I teach them. I want to focus in on your book, Please Teach Me Like I'm a Boy, 10 Steps to His Success in School and in Life. The importance of us reaching kids where they're at instead of saying, hey, you need to learn like I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. I think that that 50% of, basically 50% of anyone listening right now that has children is dealing with a boy. <laughs> the rest mm-hmm. might need to learn, can learn something from this because we are trying to make all kids fit into a cookie cutter size stamp. This is how you must learn. This is how you must t- think. When each one of us have different uh propensity towards being more tactile, being more audio, uh, auditory, or uh, being the the kind of person that needs to read something and see things. We are failing our kids because we're, we're making, we're creating an atmosphere where only some of them really succeed. And it is particularly obvious with our boys. And I wanted to talk about some of the uh, problems that you've seen in particular where and why and how boys do need to learn. Absolutely. With our boys, our classrooms need to be, number one, more boy-friendly. And I'm not talking about, you know, knock out the walls and put in a jungle gym or anything like that. Very simple changes. For example, let's get some movable desks that you can kind of slide them to the side and occasionally give the kids a chance, and we call them brain breaks, Give the kids a chance to kind of jump around and move. Put more movement into your instruction. And and teachers are so creative. They can think of ways to have review and not just have the kids sitting. For example, musical chairs makes a great review vehicle where the person left standing has to answer the review question. And teachers can use movement in other ways to teach instruction. Also, take a look at that classroom library, teachers, elementary teachers especially, What kind of books are in that library? Alice in Wonderland, Little House on the Prairie, Fairy Tale Land and Unicorns. That's not the kind of books boys like. They want to see action. They want to read about bugs and gross stuff. They want Guinness Book of World Records when people with their five feet long fingernails. Those are the kind of books that boys like. And how about the kinds of things that you prize, that you cherish? Look up on your bulletin board, teachers. What kind of stories do you post? What kind of stories got the A+. plus? Was it the story talking about love and flowers and, and boyfriends and, and, and special people? Or was it the story that talked about, oh, a recipe for boss, you know, mix in some <laughs> and mix in some worms and and fry it up with onions. Is that the kind of story you're going to put up on your bulletin board, teacher? You know, so things like that, making that classroom more boy-friendly because boys get it in their mind that school is not for me. And we wonder why there aren't more male teachers. Well, what man is going to want to suffer through a 12 years of being told that what he likes and what he wants to do is being frowned upon 
who is going to then, when he becomes an adult, want to turn around and spend the rest of his adult career working in that place. That's why we don't have very many male teachers. And it's sad. Right, but here's something amazing. No one really loves what's been happening in 2020. You know, what had take, transpired, the lockdowns, the shutdowns. Oh my goodness, suddenly I have to deal with my kids 24-7. <laughs> However, I think we have an opportunity. Parents, this is our time to rise up. Now, many uh, many parents uh, may be homeschooling parents. I know I chose homeschooling, but for all of us, to a degree, we're all homeschooling parents. We all have to teach our kids something sometime. We all have to deal with the homework. And in this case, uh, when many of us are locked out of schools, dealing with the online learning, which I, after everything you just pointed out, I'm thinking that's got to be heinous for boys. Oh, my We goodness. have an opportunity. Yes, we do have an opportunity because these little boys, this is not the way that they learn. And, and you know, even though you, Michelle, and I, we were never little boys, I can just imagine the boys that I taught telling them, okay, Johnny, I want you to log on at 10 o'clock, do your lessons, and um, I'm going to go to work now. I'll be back at 5. Make sure you do all your work. All right, see you. Okay. What healthy little boy? <laughs> is not going to be tempted to go outside, play on his PlayStation. You know, that's just not the way that boys operate. Now, I'm saying, again, in generalities, there are some boys who are thriving in this kind of, you know, instructional paradigm. Well, I'll tell you what, and there's some girls that wouldn't, and I would be one of them. There is no... (laughs) That was so difficult. I I think back to kids who, uh, with short attention spans, that really Mm -hmm. do want to get out and move. There are so many ways to... to, when When you connect with a child, in learning, uh, and you you reach them where they're at. It's like a magic that happens. I'm thinking oh, of yes. one child in particular trying to teach multiplication, just couldn't get it, just couldn't get it. Then saying, you know what? See that that uh, that basket of chocolate chip cookies over there. I'm going to get, you know, once all of a sudden when I said, I'll give you one cookie three times, boom, all of a sudden multiplication really, really, it was like, I get this, I get this. It's that connection. And we are failing to connect, it seems like. And we're seeing that there are more boys, especially uh, dealing with dropouts, lack of educational achievement, uh, learning disabilities and being diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, but it's leading Mm -hmm. even now to mental health issues, higher rates of suicide, of uh, failure to be able to connect with the world beyond schooling. So this is serious stuff. And parents have an opportunity, Dr. Green, to utilize what you are are putting out and the research that you've done and please teach me like I'm a boy to give a little hope it's you know that we have a touchy-feely world and that's great boys need that as well but we're failing them in other ways so maybe some help for parents 
Absolutely. In fact, one of the things that you mentioned just a little while ago is that connection. With boys, it is important that you've got to connect with them. You have to bond with them. That's number one before anything else, because if you haven't bonded with either your son or with your male student, they're not going to actually want to hear what you want to say. And and it's different because with boys, more so than girls, Boys don't naturally have that bonding hormone. Girls, it's very easy to connect with. You know, they wow. they, they want to, to, to please you. That oxytocin makes them want to just do whatever you say. You don't have to explain. It's good enough. The teacher says we have to do this. I want to please teacher. But boys don't have that naturally occurring bonding mechanism. They bond differently. This is huge. They, yes, they bond with uh through different ways. If you ever want to see, know how, want to know how a boy bonds, look at how they bond with each other. They wrestle. They punch. They, they you know, they, they play the dozens, you know. Uh-oh, am I dating myself with that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey, hey, man, your mama wears combat boots. Hey, your mama's lips are so big she has to use chapstick as a spray. You know, those are the <laughs> kinds of ways that boys, you know, they trade insults like that. And they, but they laugh at each other and they laugh it off. And for the smart teacher who wants their students to succeed, especially their male students, they have to bond with them. My daughter taught at my all-boys school, and she was, she was a tough cookie. You know, she didn't take, you know, uh, as my grandmother used to say, she didn't take any tea for the fever. You know, she was, you know, we're going to do it this way, my way. And the boys loved her. The reason why they loved her is that, on the soccer field at recess, she was mm-hmm. out there with them, you know, playing soccer, playing basketball with them. And so the whole morning they said, oh, Mrs. Davis, we're going to get you on that soccer field. Oh, man, Mrs. Davis. Really got... And they bonded with her. And that made learning from her, helped her to teach the math and to teach the science and all those other subjects that she had to teach. So with parents... Bond with your son. Use this time at home to get to know your son, to bond with him. You know, he may not be touchy-feely, but I bet you can take him out and, and, and beat him at a game of soccer or basketball. Bond with your son. Wrestle Come with on. Him. Think about the times tables, for example. Uh, two times two is four. All right, that's boring sitting in the classroom. But every time you bounce a basketball saying two times two is four and pass the basketball, have them repeat it back. Man, this that's ways that, that engage kids instead of just try yes. to open their head and pour in knowledge and hope something sticks. <laughs> oh, that's an excellent strategy. Michelle, I have to put that in my next book. That's an excellent <laughs> strategy. Yeah, getting out there, you know, bouncing that ball. Anything that you can put moving in. Songs. You see songs on, mm-hmm. on, on YouTube. YouTube songs that teach them. You're connecting music with skills and learning. You know, how, my, how many times do we hear those schoolhouse rock songs? Yes. I, yes. I and miss I remember those. Learning how to encyclopedias from Jiminy Cricket. E-N-C-Y-C-L-O-P-E-D-I-A. I'm dating myself again, aren't I? It is perfectly fine because those things worked. <clears throat> sad, very sad true story. In a Christian school, uh, kids had to learn scripture. And I think scripture is awesome because it helps you in life to uh, 
when, when things get tough, you can pull off the wisdom of what you learned in the Bible. You know, that's my feeling. And mm-hmm. having kids have that implanted in them, awesome. But kids, especially boys, were having a really hard time memorizing these scriptures. So uh, I tried to use songs and create script, uh, songs around the scripture so they could sing it, uh, hand mm-hmm. actions, and have them move. And it was great. They were learning scripture right and left until the principal said, no, they need to stand still and and quote their scripture and i'm like are you kidding these are kids learning the bible excited about memorizing and you're saying you're putting a kibosh to it ouch 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 find him and send him a copy of my book because that was the perfect way that was the perfect way and parents really have to become advocates for their sons lord knows they need the other advocates out there. The girls, they have a lot of advocates. Those same um, organizations that came to their defense back in the 80s when they weren't doing well in math, you know, the uh, Association of University Women who came out and lobbied, you know, textbook publishers and the U.S. Department of Ed, you know, we've got to change curricula to help the girls. We have the girls. Well, boys, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, they don't have those kind of advocacy groups. We're trying at the Boys Initiative to become one of those advocacy groups or either to Rally folks to become advocates, especially parents, especially moms. Moms are going to fight for their sons. And sometimes a mom's voice is heard even above the dad's voice in the ears of the power of those uh, uh, who, who make the decisions. And moms need to go out there and advocate for their sons. Those moms who are getting phone calls after phone calls, Johnny won't sit still, Johnny won't pay attention, he doesn't do his homework, he's sloppy, he's disorganized. Mothers can say, look, teacher, there's nothing wrong with my son. What are you doing? What are you doing, teacher, to help my son become more organized, to help him to understand this and to pay attention. Are you sitting there talking to him all day? I wouldn't pay attention to you either, Miss Teacher. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then parents take the forefront, you know, because having been a school administrator, sometimes my, you know, the higher-ups, they would listen to the parents before they would listen to the administrators. But parents have a powerful voice, and they shouldn't be cowered into not speaking up for their sons and advocating change in curricula, advocating change in instructional strategies, because our boys are in crisis. And the one thing, one of the main things that will help our boys is a good education, and our boys are not being educated. And thankfully, there is someone who is an advocate, and there is some place we can go, theboysinitiative.org. It's a mission of theirs to raise awareness about the issues and negative trends affecting the well-being and success of your boys, young men, men in our nation and around the world. Some of the things that you may have heard today from our guest, Dr. Green, may have turned the light on for you. You may never have known because it's not being talked about because we've had a different focus. Well, now it's time to focus on all of our children. Man, what a mission. Oh, and thank you for giving me the platform to, to, to get the word out, Michelle. And, you know, bless your heart, so many times, unfortunately, it's not politically correct to talk about the issues of boys. You know, no. we're, we're sure to, to talk about girls, and girls aren't thriving, and girls need this, and girls need that. And that's true, and I have nothing against that. Yeah. I used to be a little girl. 
<laughs> but it's not a zero-sum game. We can help the boys as well as the girls. Oh, Thank and look you, at Michelle. it this way. Look at it this way. If we help the boys, it's much more help for the girls. We're raising yes. we're raising young men, men of integrity, yes. men with yes. purpose. That's yes. much better for all of us. Yeah. Yes. In fact, um, when I started my, my school, uh, it was um, at my church. And um, some of the members came and said, well, wait a minute, a school for boys? Well, what about the girls? I said, well, this is for the girls because we're going to raise up godly boyfriends and husbands who are going to know how to treat them and take care of them, who are educated. I said, this is for the girls. And so someone kind of laughed and said, okay, Sacred Life Academy for Boys, the school for girls. (laughs) Oh, that is so wonderful. What a mission absolutely pick up this book. We will have a link on mymichellelive.com. Please teach me like I'm a boy, 10 steps to his success in school and in life. It is great. Please come on again. I don't want this to be the last time we talk. Thank you so much, Michelle. You got it. Today's program is dedicated to men, the men of the future, the boys in your care, the men who may be struggling in our era today. This is for you, and it's brought to you in part by Real Bearded Men. All my brothers with beards, raise up your beards, let that thing grow wild from ear to ear. They say you're so cute, clean shaven. I'm so sorry, dear. This ain't no shave, no members, no shaving this year. Our brothers with beards. That's right. So we have a special deal with Real Bearded Men. Go to our website. You can get a coupon code and use the link. You'll get the best deal on products for men with beards. Well, as we take on this series focusing on men, did you know that women may have a right to hear a lot of the issues of, of women, the plight of women, the, even the abuse of women? And women actually account for roughly 1.5 million incidents of domestic violence every single year. But according to the National Violence Against Women, their survey found that more than 830,000 men also fall victim to domestic violence. That is a huge number. It's a tremendously large number. Why are we not hearing about it? What are some of these stories, the untold stories of these men and how can we help men move forward in a time where we've emasculated men we've blamed men can we help heal men i want to introduce you to hampton e conway he's the executive director of the movement ministries he's a father of 10 he's an educator and he's a man who has lived through abuse of himself, of his children, and he is part of the solution. Hampton, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thanks for having me. 
So this is a passion of yours and your website uh, focuses on those who have been hurt, marginalized, abused, not just men, of course, but you do focus on on men. That is correct. I, I do advocate for all victims uh, of abuse and, and domestic violence or intimate partner violence. Uh, but, you know, I also partner with an organization called SAFE, which is Stop Abuse for Everyone, because there are so many other populations of victims of abuse that aren't paid as much attention to, unfortunately. And so as as a victim of abuse myself, as a man, um, I'm also passionate about trying to uh, bring attention, awareness, advocacy, and education with respect to those other groups as well. Well put. Uh, there are pockets, I guess you could say, of people who are not always brought to the forefront. And it seems like in our country, the people who scream the loudest are the ones that, you know, the squeaky wheel, so to speak. But we have uh, the elderly that are sometimes overlooked. Uh, you work with low-income families, at-risk use, and you work, as we were talking, with victims and survivors of domestic violence. Would you mind sharing a bit of your story? Not at all. And um, I was in an abusive marriage for uh, 14 years before I finally separated. Um, I got into the marriage and unfortunately um, did not recognize the signs myself at first, uh, which is part of the reason why I'm big on just educating, right? Yeah. Um, so people can understand, you know, what the signs are and, and different things. But so I got into the marriage and not long after we were married, I started to notice some things. Um, but still didn't consider it abuse. Um, and, and honestly, I actually internalized it like, oh, okay, I must be doing something wrong. I got to be a better man. I got to be a better husband, you know, and, and was trying to change me, uh, not realizing that it wasn't me that was that completely the problem. And, you know, so we went on through the marriage and, and it was physical and it was emotional and psychological. Um, and honestly, even though there was some physical, it was much more verbal and emotional um, and those scars actually hurt a lot worse than the physical ones, to be, to be honest with you. Uh, and so, you know, I endured that for quite some time and I endured it in silence. Like, I, you know, as a man, I, I wasn't telling anyone, you know, about the things that I was going through or, or what was happening to me. Uh, and unfortunately, then my children also began to endure, um, you know, uh, abuse as well. Um, and so it ultimately led to me finally, after 14 years, separating um, and then going through a really, really long, tough uh, custody battle, which is a whole nother side of the situation where, you know, the court system was not friendly to me at all uh, as, as the man and as the father of the children, um, as well as uh, Child Protective Services, the police. Like I, I really, you know, all the different organizations and people that I was counting on to help me through my situation, it was it was really a struggle. But Fortunately, I was able, finally able to actually get custody of all 10 of my children at the end. Wow, that's, and, but what a long, enduring uh, trial that is. And it's painful, but there are uh, people who are not even aware, don't even realize that what they're enduring, the pain that they're feeling is abuse. Why is that? Correct. That is correct. And I think... Um, you know, part of it is just that 
so unfortunately, a lot of this type of behavior gets normalized. And so for some people in their situation, if you grow up seeing this type of abuse, you know, you learn to, to look at it and say, okay, there's mommy and there's daddy. And this is how they treat each other, but they say they love each other. So you start to formulate, oh, this is what love looks like, right? This is what a marriage looks like, or this is what a relationship looks like. So it gets normalized. So when you grow into your own and you begin to date and, 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 and what have you, um, you know, those things that you're experiencing, you, they don't feel good, but there's a part of you that says, well, this is normal. And, you know, helping people realize that, hey, this is not normal. It's not okay. Love is not supposed to hurt like this, you know, and so, you know, there's, there's, there's a, that's why, you know, we, we focus a lot around that education piece as well. Let's, can we talk a bit about some of the specifics, if, if it's okay with you, of what that abuse looks like? Because right now, as we're talking, it seems kind of ambiguous. I mean, everyone Mm -hmm. in a marriage relationship, male or female, from time to time will feel hurt or feel like. Uh, they're, they've been walked on, their feelings have been hurt. What's the difference between a, a marriage, a real marriage where, uh, you know, you're in a relationship with someone, things you're going to clash from time to time and abuse? For sure. And one of the things that, um, you know, experts will tell you is that abuse is really about power and control. And so there are some things that come along with that person trying to exert, you know, their power and control over you. And so classic example, one of the things is isolation. And, you know, the abuser will often, it's very common that the abuser will try to isolate you from family and friends. And, and by, because by doing that strategically, you know, allows them to continue whatever particular behavior they want to continue without the in- interference of others. And so I experienced that. I, 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 you know, we ended up moving away from my family and move, I, you know, ended up moving to where she wanted to be. And, um, and, and I ended up in a situation where I stopped participating, you know, in a lot of the events and things that I like to participate in and do. And, you know, she always, you know, had a, a way of making me feel guilty about really doing anything outside the home other than tending to the family. And at the time I didn't realize that was part of the isolation efforts to get me to be, you know, away from, you know, family and friends, anyone that I could possibly form a bond with um, or connect with was a threat. Um, And so, you know, there was always some issues around that. Um, Also, you know, just the constant uh, put down and demeaning um, and, you know, emasculating and, and, and making you feel, um, you know, less than what you are. Um, and unfortunately, you know, uh, uh, if you constantly do that, constantly berating someone, cussing them out, calling them names and making them feel less than what they are, they, they do lose confidence and they do lose hope and they do lose, um, you know, sense of self-worth, um, which puts you in even a more subjective, um, and submissive position, uh, in the relationship. Uh, so those are just two small examples of how it it can play out. And that can play out oftentimes for men being put down, emasculated. I mean, we already experience that in our society. So, of course, it's a natural uh, 
extension inside a, a relationship men are bad anyway our society says and so uh, men I can imagine sitting back and going okay yeah we're to blame we're to blame you you want to be the fix-it guy and you're thinking this is all about me um, marriage is really about building each other up and when there are things that uh, ways that we fall short. It's about helping someone to be a better person, not taking them from where they're at and, and ripping them to shreds. So that might be one of the signs. Are there other signs that the pain that people are feeling is truly abuse? Absolutely. Um, you know, if you're constantly feeling minimized, um, you know, defeated and blamed, um, you know, of course, you know, there's some things that are you know, even being threatened, um, you know, if you're constantly being threatened, um, if you're in a situation where, you know, a person is using intimidation by threatening you or even destroying your property, um, you know, situation, they'll abuse pets, um, you know, smash things, you know, that are as ways of just making you feel threatened. Um, I often was threatened, uh, ironically, my ex-wife would threaten me by threatening to harm herself. So she would try to manipulate me by threatening to actually hurt herself, which would then cause me to compromise on certain things. And so, you know, it's, 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 it's definitely, um, you know, a vicious cycle. And if you, um, aren't, aren't aware, um, you know, you, again, like I said, you can, you know, think that, you know, it, it, it normalizes it, but you know, you also got to understand, you know, if you understand that, you know, you shouldn't, you know, if you get to a point, a lot of people get to a point of depression and anxiety, you know, when you get to that point, you definitely, you know, red flags should start going off uh, with respect to, okay, you know, I shouldn't constantly feel anxious uh, or feel like I'm walking on eggshells in a relationship. And like you yes. just said, because it's about building each other up. And if you're constantly feeling anxious and like you're walking on eggshells, uh, that's no way to live. You are absolutely right. And there are some things that I wanted to take on from two perspectives. One, how this this affects men in particular. How does the, being in a, an abusive relation affect men? And the other, we're going to get into how it affects people of faith, because as People of, people of faith, we think, well, you know, God hates divorce and, you know, I, and if I just believe hard enough and if I, and, you know, I should be able to endure this. And I'm going to tell you, many of us, men and women, are in abusive uh, marital relationships. We may be in, a, in abusive situations in churches where yep. we're being stifled, we're being hurt, and there is a host of people who are unchurched because I don't want to go back to church because of the way I was treated, the way I was looked at, the way I was told I was I, I need to dress and how I may not be good enough and how I don't have enough faith. So this the the idea of being of abuse is extended beyond just the home. Absolutely. And you hit on two major things. One, just as a man and as a man, you know, yeah, it, it, you know, and so even those statistics you were mentioning earlier, I would argue that the statistics for men is actually even higher. Uh, but just like women often suffer in silence and don't come forward, so we don't really know what the true numbers are. Um, 
you know, I think the same is true for men and maybe even more so because of our ego and, and how society tells men they're supposed to be, right? Um, you know, we're supposed to be macho and masculine and, and you know, in some some you know, aspects of society we're not supposed to show emotion and, and, and cry and you know, see me cry and those type of things and I really oh, think but- we need to read the Wait a minute. On the other hand, uh, men are told if you're not emotional and if you're not, you know, if you're not going to sit through a chick flick with a box of tissues, then you're then you've just not gotten in touch enough. And men, you need to learn from women and be a lot more like women. So you can't win. You really can't win. As one of (laughs) as one of my friends said in our sports segment, you know, it's you you want to be be somewhere between milk toast and macho, you know, but but that's a hard balancing act. And for sure, you know, and to your other point with respect to faith, that is huge because I am a man of faith and um ironically faith is part of what kept me in it for so long. Um yes. but I'll say my lack of understanding about how my faith should have played out in this situation kept me in it because, you know, I could just like you said, I thought, you know, God, you know, uh, honors marriage. I made a vow, you know, and, and God doesn't like divorce. And, you know, I'm telling myself all these things that I heard in church. And by the way, I don't think the church does a great job of having these, a lot of these conversations. Come on. Um, but uh, yep. so I'm just recalling all these things and my understanding at the time of how I should handle this from a faith perspective. But I finally got to the point where I realized, first of all, when my wife began to abuse me, she already broke the vow at that point. Um, So I'm trying to hold on to a vow that's already broken. Um, But besides that, um, you know, I also had to get to a point where I realized God does not want this this for me. He does not want me to live in this kind of pain and suffering. Uh, And so um, you know, that was definitely um, a, a struggle to work through. But uh, to you, one, uh, just real quick, I actually went to uh, one of my pastors when it very first started happening. And when I went to him, which was very hard to do, because this is me as a man telling another man what a woman is doing to me. And so I got up enough courage to open up to him and say, hey, here's what's happening in my marriage. And the only response he had for me was, Oh, so you just gonna let her do that? <laughs> man right, up, right. Hampton, man up. Ouch. Right. It, right. And so I didn't know what to do with that. And so here I here I was, I finally got the courage to say something. And and so I got I never said anything again after that. You know, because I thought, well, shoot, if this is the advice my pastor's giving me, which I'm not even sure exactly what his advice was. I was trying to read between the lines, you know, but that was of no help at all. And so, you know, even in faith circles, you know, a lot of folks aren't equipped to deal with folks when they come to them and they're in these situations. Yeah, I mean, with that kind of advice, what are you supposed to do? Abuse back? I mean, that. I mean, really, that's uh, start a fight. It, that's not okay. It's just not okay. And and there you are as a man, uh, emasculated again by your pastor, saying essentially, "Well, you're not man enough to handle your marriage." That's not okay because a real man doesn't go in and 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 bully the situation. A, a real man handles it the way Jesus did with, with a, a, a humility and a beauty that 
that is rife with love. That's what a marriage should look like. But when you're dealing with someone who can't receive that and responds with further abuse, you're in a bad situation. So there you were. What did you do after that? How did you find help? Honestly, I just endured it. I mean, that was very early on. And so I honestly endured it for quite some time after that. And it, and unfortunately it took me getting to a really, really dark place um, before I finally made uh, my escape. And, and fortunately I had family that I could escape to, you know, a lot of people that are in these situations um, don't necessarily have somewhere to go. Uh, And again, especially men. So even in times where I would, there were often times that I fled the home, um, but I couldn't go to a shelter because no shelter, none of the shelters in, in that area were taking men in. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sleeping in Walmart parking lots. I'm sleeping at cheap motels. I'm sleeping in abandoned building parking lots. I'm sleeping in my office at my job because I was a principal and had the keys and the alarm code to the building. And so I'm sleeping in my office and I'm taking a change of clothes so my staff doesn't realize that I spent the night there. So those are the type of things I was doing because I didn't have access to the resources that women in my situation had. What? Why is it that we are looking at 1.5 million women that have experienced some kind of domestic abuse, but uh, according to this survey by the National Violence Against Women, we're looking at 830,000 men. And as you mentioned, because of the nature of men, there may be a lot more because men just don't report. Why aren't we seeing any help? Why aren't we seeing resources? Why aren't we seeing PSAs? Or have we just it's written catch- men off? Yeah, it's a catch-22 because the folks, like you said, the folks that are making the noise, right, the squeaky wheel uh, gets the oil. And unfortunately, you know, we're trying, there's other groups of folks out here saying, hey, we're squeaking too, but we don't necessarily have the same level of data to show that we need the resources. But the reason it's a catch-22 is because that same group, so men, for example, they don't know where, they, they're, because the resources aren't out there, they're not coming forward and saying, hey, this is what I need, or this is what the kind of help I need. And so because the resources aren't there, they're not coming forward. And because they're not coming forward, we don't have the numbers to get the resources. And it's like this vicious cycle. Wow. So how many people that have had the light turned on from the abuser side, as as someone who has been an abuser, how many people are able to get help and change? I mean, is it just something that, that people are resigned to for the rest of their lives? I, I mean, I, we, we talk a bit about healing those who have been abused. Is there hope and healing for the abuser? There absolutely is. Um, and again, it's not 100%, um, but there are actual programs uh, that are specific for uh, the abuser side, male or female. Um, now, again, most of those programs are, <laughs> ironic, well, maybe not ironically, most of those programs are for men, right? Um, but there are programs out there. So there is hope even for the abuser. Um, and so that is something I'm glad you brought that up. because That's not often talked about either, uh, that people, you know, change is hard, but it can happen. 
Well, indeed. And the one of the reasons I bring that up is that you're not doing your vow, your marriage, it, and your spouse a service by staying in an abusive relationship. You are contributing to their sin as well. You're contributing to something that is tearing you apart, but it's also tearing them apart too. So again, going back to the, well, what's the Christian thing to do to stand by this person? No, sometimes the Christian thing to do is say, this isn't changing. This isn't okay. I'm stepping away. And well, Jesus told Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. I wouldn't try doing that in a spousal relationship, though. No, I, mean, I wouldn't say that out loud. <laughs> I wouldn't say that just, out loud. Just have that mentality. Don't say it out loud. <laughs> right. See, I think that in our, in our world, we look at... Um, issues and we don't really look at the sin behind it we see uh that we've had a year of talking about bigotry and hate and there's nothing wrong with that but we don't realize that we can have the same kind of bigotry to those towards those who we feel have committed a, a problem. Uh, we can say that uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, but in that we can also develop a hate for police or a hate for and resentment towards towards people. We can look at the sin of abuse and not realize that it happens in other regards. And I think that's because we look at issues and we don't always look deeper and see what the sin really is. What are your thoughts on that, Hampton? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all spiritual warfare, right? So, um, you yeah. know, I think that's the thing we, we, you know, overlook and take for granted. Um, and that foundationally, um, you know, and like you mentioned even earlier, this, this affects, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Satan is going to use whatever tactics he can to keep God's people from uh, uh, unleashing their true potential and purpose. And what we are seeing is evidence of that in many, 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 many different ways. You know, if I can keep you in a state where you feel, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't any good to God uh, in the state I was in feeling, you know, depressed and anxious. I couldn't serve God. I couldn't spread Christ's love to others in the state that I was in and Satan perfectly happy with that. So at the end of the day, that's what it's really about. (laughs) So, you know, if we can recognize things like you said, sin for what it is and then strategically uh, be able to approach it and, and say, you know what, I've, I've got to do what I've got to do and whatever I can to, 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 to heal. Um, and myself, and then be and be able to help uh, heal others. That's that's what it comes down to. I want to talk about your ministry. Get people directed to your website in just a few moments. One other thing, and that's dealing with forgiveness. And forgiveness is glorious, but honestly, it's a sticky wicket because back to that whole faith-based thing, we think, well, I just need to walk in forgiveness. I need to, I'm not being forgiving. That's why I'm hurting. I'm not being forgiving. I've got to forgive my spouse. If I'm just a better Christian, if I'm a better man, if I'm a better person, we, we don't have... I 
think, a grasp on what forgiveness means. Forgiveness doesn't mean what you're doing is okay. Forgiveness means I'm going to put it in God's hands and, and allow for healing. But that doesn't mean I have to be a doormat. That doesn't mean I have to stay in a bad situation. Let's take that on. That is um, that is very true. Forgiveness is a very tricky thing, especially if you don't truly understand uh, what it is. And it's a process, right? Forgiveness isn't, you know, that's the thing, too. You have to give yourself yeah, yeah. room uh, to get to that point. And, you know, I used to beat myself up because I was like, I should be, I should be past this feeling or this emotion, um, and just because you still carry certain emotions around a thing doesn't necessarily you haven't mean you haven't forgiven uh, the person that offended you. You know, so being able to understand what forgiveness is, like you said, and understand that there's a difference between, um, you know, just because I forgive you doesn't mean I still have to be your buddy. Doesn't mean I still have to be your spouse. Doesn't still have to mean I have to uh, uh, engage with you. Uh, in a certain way. And whether you understand that or not shouldn't have a bearing on where, how the fact that I have decided uh, to forgive and move on at the same time. Right. And forgiveness isn't always reconciliation. Forgiveness does not mean that we have, I ever have to talk to you again, see you again, be even, you know, want to be in the same room. It, that, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is me releasing it to God. I'm not going to hold that thing anymore. I'm not going to think about those things anymore. I'm not going to allow them to affect me anymore. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to let God take care of it. It's his problem now. That's that's a, a type of forgiveness. Being able to say, I let it go. That's where we have to get to. And it does not mean that you have to ever be with an abuser again. Absolutely. You very well said, man. But don't you think, too, though, that uh, in its completion, wouldn't it be wonderful to have that person come and seek forgiveness? I mean, I think if you've ever been in this situation, I was, I, I had uh, good friends who had behaved in a way that was so hurtful to me. And like an abusive relationship, I thought, what did I do wrong? You know, what, what happened here? You know, of course, these are great people. They wouldn't do this. It must be me. And, and it was maybe a year or so later that these two girls came to me and said, Michelle, we want to ask your forgiveness. We want to take you to dinner and we want to tell you, we mean girled you. It wasn't right. And we ask you to please forgive us. That was reconciliation. Me not saying, oh yeah, well, first of all, let me tell you what. No, it's just saying, you know what? Thank you. That was huge. I mean, that's things that that leaders and, and uh, people that you see that are godly, you know, just don't do. These two women, everyday women did and said, I'm sorry. And we have a beautiful relationship now. Uh, sometimes it builds, you need to rebuild trust. But yeah, that's beautiful. It doesn't always happen. But unforgiveness does more damage to you than it does to the person you're not forgiving. So that, that needs to be part of the solution. The Another part of the solution is going to your website. You have a lot of 
resources for people. Makemoves.org. You can connect anywhere you're listening to this program. Makemoves.org. Can we, uh, in our final minutes together, talk about your website? Sure. Um, and the we ministry. Are, uh, yes, we are um, a nonprofit um, human services organization, and we do focus on um, victims and survivors. Uh, of domestic violence, because we want to help the victims, the people that are in the situation. But even once you're out of the situation, there's still a lot of healing uh, that needs to take place. Um, and so we try to support survivors as well. Um, we also are um, supporting returning citizens. So folks that have uh, been incarcerated uh, and transitioning back into society, um, you know, and trying to make positive change, supporting them with resources and support. Uh, to help them to be able to do that, as well as supporting low-income families and uh, at-risk youth. So um, that's what we're trying to do and just trying to make a difference in the world. And you can get in touch with us uh, on makemoves.org, and there's a contact form there. Um, that If you want to reach out for more information or resources, um, you know, if I don't know the answer, I'm definitely affiliated with a lot of other organizations I can put people in touch with as well. God bless you. That is so very awesome. I have one more question or just one more request, I guess, in our final minute together here, Hampton. And that's to speak to men. These last two weeks in our Health Watch, we've been talking about the plight of men, the needs of men, the health of men. Uh, What do men need to hear today? Huh. Men need to hear um, that you, that first of all, if you are struggling, if you are going through something, whatever it is, there is hope, there is help. No matter how dark it may seem, no matter how frustrated you are, especially in these current times, yeah. uh, there is help and there is hope. And one of the, our models for our ministry is keep moving. Like no matter uh, how tough it gets, Uh, No matter how bad things seem, if you can just find a way to keep moving, keep moving forward. And, you know, there is support out there. And don't be afraid uh, to don't be too afraid or too macho or too manly uh, to rely on help. I definitely advocate for therapy. Uh, There are many of us men out here that if you would just take the time to sit down with a professional uh, to discuss what you're feeling, what you're going through. It could make you such, uh, help make you such a better husband, father, um, man, leader. Um, and so again, there is help and there is hope out here for you uh, if you open up to it. Hampton, thank you for letting your darkness uh, bring light to so many others, for walking through it and and helping others. And uh, it has been a privilege. Hampton E. Conway III, Executive Director of the Movement Ministries, makemoves.org. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. That was such a thank you for your uh, openness. I just so appreciate it. Great interview. And and I appreciate you tackling these topics. So thanks for having me. You got it. I'll uh, gladly send you an MP3 of our time together today and you can use it as you will. Awesome. I appreciate it. You got it. God bless you. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. John F. Kennedy said, 
Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men. And I pray that we women who love you men can be a stronger support for you and believe in you in your lives as you go down this journey. A special thanks to men with beards. If you have a beard, go to our website. We have a real special deal for you. Just scroll down on our homepage. And remember, the God story is important. If you heard something today that's moved you, share it, like it, support us. We're here for you. Be there for us too. I'm Michelle Dixon. More Health Watch at MyMichelleLive.com.